Hello and greetings. Thank you for your interest in spiritual matters and for giving us the gift of spending time as we continue to explore what God has made known in Christ and in Scripture. My name is Ethan, and I work with the Venice Church of Christ. We're a non-denominational uh, group of Christians who seek to be disciples making disciples in Los Angeles. We'd love to hear your thoughts about our conversation today. Please let us know in the comments. And if we can be of any further service, please reach out to us at VeniceChurchOfChrist.org. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and on YouTube. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 34, the Lord Jesus declared, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life because of me will find it. And Jesus has made similar comments previously in chapter 10 and verses 21-22, and would also make something else uh, similar uh, in Matthew 12, 48-50. This is somewhat disconcerting, right? Because Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be the Prince of Peace. And we see that Jesus' general focus in life uh, is to bring about reconciliation. God has sent him to reconcile people, uh, reconcile us back to God, that we can share in relational unity with God and with one another. So how can Jesus say here that he is the Prince of Peace, yet he has not come to bring peace, but a sword? And what does this have to do with making uh, all of these challenges and difficulty with family members? It's good for us to consider what Jesus is saying here and how it may relate to us in our lives as Christians. What's going on in Matthew 10 and chapter 12 is talking about sometimes the divisions or the controversies, the challenges that can come when somebody affirms Jesus as Lord. If we go to Matthew 10, Matthew 10, by the way, is Jesus commissioning his 12 disciples to go out and to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom, uh, that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so they're being sent out to do this. And so Jesus is preparing them for what they may encounter and experience. And he declares in verse 21, Brother will hand brother over to death and a father his child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you'll be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. This is very disturbing scenery, right? That these these family relationships uh, are are causing all of this consternation, and people who ought to love one another and be there for one another are now being the reason that others are being put to death. There's an expectation of being hated for Jesus' name. We have read Matthew ten thirty four through thirty eight. Uh, which is a very par parallel passage in a similar context. It's still part of that same conversation. Uh, he alludes to Micah 7 and verse 6 here. So even in saying this, it's interesting. We talked about how, well, how can he be the prince of peace in Isaiah? Well, what Isaiah says remains true in its own way. However, there's this message from my, my, Micah chapter 7 and verse 6 that Jesus is pulling up here. And it, it causes this great consternation and we'll have reason to talk about what it means. In Matthew 12, 48 through 50, 
another passage that we've mentioned, Jesus uh, has been teaching and preaching, and in fact what's happened is that he has his mother and, and, and brothers have come to see him. And someone tells him this, and Jesus says in verse 48, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And pointing toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he's seemingly here even repudiating his own earthly family. So what's going on here with all of these things about family? Is Jesus saying here that Christians shouldn't have any care about family? Well, in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4, Paul will say that children are to obey their parents in the Lord, and that parents are not to provoke their children to anger. Uh, Hebrews 13, 17, that we are to obey our leaders, spiritual and physical. They will give account for their shepherding. 1 Timothy chapter 5, Paul will say that anyone who does not provide for his own is, is worse than an unbeliever and expects that family, family will take care of one another. And... For good measure, Romans 12 and verse 18, Paul Willing says, As much as it depends on us, we are to live at peace with all men. And so this is very challenging to see here, because we see Jesus speaking of these situations where you will have conflict within family. And then you see all these other passages saying you need to honor family, that you need to be peaceable. And these are definitely at a level of variance. Uh, we would be foolish to suggest otherwise. But the variance may not be as, as hypocritical-seeming or contradictory as one might imagine. We can come up with a parallel example, which is the situation that we have with civil authority. So in Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2, uh, Paul and Peter both affirm that we are to be obedient to civil authorities and to human institutions. And Paul, in fact, say in 1 Timothy 2 that we are to pray for civil authorities. Uh, and so that, that is always true. We are to obey them, we are to pray for them. But then you see, for instance, the Sanhedrin in Acts 4 and 5 telling Peter and, that they, and the apostles that they can no longer speak to other people about what happened with Jesus. And they affirm that we must obey God rather than man, and whether it is right in your sight, you decide, but we cannot stop speaking of the things that we have seen and heard. And they even submitted to the punishment of the Sanhedrin for having done such things. And so that's the situation here, where even though we're supposed to live at peace with the civil authority, the very nature of the message that we have, that Jesus is Lord, may be found threatening to many in civil authority. And the things that Jesus requires of us, or has exhorted us to do, may not sit well with civil authority. And so, it may lead to conflict with civil authority, not because we have agitated for the conduct, not because we have tried to exacerbate the, uh, the, the uh, conflict, but because of uh, the threat that the civil authority uh, sees and the way that the civil authority decides to deal with it. And this is exactly what's going on here in terms of the familial situation. What's going on here, Jesus is imagining these situations in the most intimate of relationships. In a very real way, Jesus is kind of doing here, same kind of thing he'll do in Matthew 16, where he talks about if what does a man gain if he gets the whole world but loses his soul. It is kind of the argument to the extreme. Uh, and the reason it's arguing to the extreme, and it's going all the way back to the prophets, right, is the fact that uh, family is the closest relationship a person is to have. 
and that uh, blood runs thick, so to speak, and uh, people are supposed to be there for family. This is one of those attitudes and ideas that has been uh, pervasive and persistent throughout uh, human existence. Uh, it's one of the most natural imp inclinations that we have. And so here Jesus is saying that even where <clears throat> you would expect there to be unity, because of Jesus there may be division. Even where you ex expect profound intimacy, there may be disruption because of the gospel. And the question then comes, to whom do you prove loyal in those circumstances? And that's what leads to Jesus saying that whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And it's very important to think about in that moment that Jesus has yet to pick up the cross on which he will die. And yet he's already using that instrument of degradation, humiliation, as the means by which to understand what is being asked and required to follow him. So what Jesus is trying to suggest here is that becoming and living as a Christian is a divisive act. And that's something that's really, again, a challenge for us, because we can go and see that div div divisiveness contentiousness is a work of the flesh in Galatians 5, 19 through 21. This is something that is of Satan and of the forces of evil. And in what Paul is condemning is certainly that situation. Uh, but the divisiveness that comes from living as a Christian can come from other means. We think about the fact that as a Christian, if we become a Christian, that we should be divided from our sin, right? That we should be uh, cleansed of our sin, that our sin should be taken away from us, and that we should uh, turn away from it, avoid it. Uh, by even saying that we should avoid the works of the flesh in Galatians 5, is not Paul saying that we should have a division between us and those behaviors. Um, and uh, the preaching of the gospel. Uh, is something that causes division. Uh, the, he, the sword of the Spirit, right, is the Word of God. It's a two-edged sword in Hebrews 4 and verse 12 that pierces the division of soul and spirit. It's going to create injury. It's going to create uh, the sort of division. Uh, it's powerful. It convicts people of sin. And so Peter, in 1 Peter 4, 1 through 4, uh, talks about how there are many of the Gentiles who they walk in the flesh. And because of that... Uh, they are astonished when you no longer walk and, and participate in the same kind of behaviors that they were doing. And he says that they will then vilify you. They will despise you for, for the fact that you no longer are walking in those ways. First uh, Corinthians fifteen thirty three. Uh, Paul con is concerned that bad company can corrupt good morals. And 2 Corinthians six fourteen through 18, Paul will talk about how we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers because what does Christ have to do with Belial? And so uh, this is something that we might see from people we have met in the world and participate out in our various forms of our lives. But when our parents and siblings or children, depending on in our situation, are not Christians, this might cause uh, some significant division. Because if we used to walk in certain ways and then we turn away from them, uh, that turning away may be for the good. It may be healthy, right? But it is a turning away. It is a separation, a division from what had been done before. And even if you come at it with the most gentle and loving behavior, 
the change is itself an indictment. It's a judgment. And people feel that indictment and that judgment. That if you're not participating with them and you're living at variance with them, uh, forever people have not been comfortable with that. You can see that in many of our issues in society today. Uh, and it certainly was something that has been true throughout time. And so it will lead many people to treat us with antagonism and cause friction. And, and this is all the more so when you get even into closer relationships. Uh, and you can see uh, that even in the life of Jesus, right? You can see how in Nazareth everybody treated him the way that he, they did when he preached uh, because they they had this intimacy with him before he uh, began his ministry and they presumed uh, a level of familiarity with him. Uh, and because of that, uh, did not take well to his ministry and how he was uh, glorifying God and what he was doing. And so the way that we bear witness to Jesus in these circumstances may lead to conversion. Many will come to a knowledge of truth and be saved, absolutely. But it will also lead to a lot of people being hostile toward us. Um, very rarely is it going to lead to indifference. And quite frankly, we do not want it to lead to indifference. Indifference would be perhaps the worst possible option. I think it's hard for us to see is well, how can this lead to conflict? Well, uh, we have repudiated the world and its lusts when we turn to Jesus. That we have switched sides in the war of darkness, right? That we are no longer uh, serving the forces of darkness. Now we are standing at variance against the powers and principalities over this present darkness. And therefore, uh, we're going to have some conflict with those forces of darkness. That's what Paul is telling us in Ephesians chapter 6. That we were part of that darkness, but now we've come to the light in Ephesians 5 and verse 8. And so because of that, the conflict is already there. The conflict's been going on for longer than any of us have been alive. Um... Uh, and a lot of people that we know and love are, are caught up in it. And it is often a lot easier to war and fight against uh, those forces that are showing you a healthier, better way than it is to uh, capitulate to them and to change. And uh, it's a difficult thing. It's a difficult thing. And so we can see this with those who may not be Christians. Unfortunately, there are even times where that sword may divide with people who profess to be Christians, if we have come to an understanding that some of the things that are being affirmed by our, our fellow people who love Jesus are not exactly what's consistent with the gospel. And in fact, sometimes those issues become even more acrimonious, and that we may have much more peace with uh, people with whom we share much less in common, and have much more conflict with uh, people who would claim to be fellow Jesus people, but yet seem to have held on to worldly ways when it comes to uh, various issues that we could consider and imagine. And so in any of this, how are we supposed to manage this conflict? How are we supposed to glorify Jesus in the midst of these things? Because all of us are going to come in contact with people who are not in Christ or who are in Christ, but who are not uh, well representing Jesus. And especially when that conflict gets hot, when it's not a cold war, when it's a hot war, when there's arguments and, and conversations and, and disagreements, uh, it, it can put a cloud over everything. It can definitely be something that you're always noticing. And so how do we have that light shine that we're supposed to have shine in Matthew 5, 13 through 16? And so there's some general principles to keep in mind. Uh, it's important to note how we are to be holy. Yes, this is something that is not new, right? As Christians, we are to be holy. 
but when it comes to those who are looking for reasons to condemn us, it becomes all the more important. And this is what you see in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. Uh, also in chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, chapter 4. Because people are looking out for that inconsistency, for that contradiction, or your stumbling to justify themselves and to revile you. And, and so that's why Peter says that live as free, not as a pretext for evil, um, but to serve God. Um, live so that anyone you know, who, who speaks against you will be uh, demonstrated to be ignorant and foolish. Uh, that keep your conduct pure so that when they revile you, that they will have to glorify God in the day of visitation, so on and so forth. Uh, and it's important to keep in mind that uh, when we talk about all of these things, that we we often want to give ourselves a benefit. Hey, we're, we're just human. And sure. And, and even in our failures, we can find ways to glorify God by admitting them, confessing them, and by showing repentance, by not trying to excuse or justify them. Um, and it, and it, this is one of those weird topics where it's very easy to be, to portray this in a very absolutist way where everybody's against you, everybody's looking out. And there's a sense in which that's true, and there's a sense in which that's overstated. And even the scriptures, uh, there, you, there's this hostility, but there's also a, a, an openness. I think there's a lot of people who would like to see better things of Christians and think better of Christians, but see a lot of bad examples that aren't so repentant. And a lot of times the reason that these people who are, are not repentant is because they're just so convinced the world is just awash in sin and, and hopeless that it seems like they don't think that they need to hold themselves to as high of a standard or just just give themselves the benefit of the doubt as a category and never give anybody else the benefit of the doubt. And this is not just something that is true in terms of those who are not in Christ at all. It also is true of those who profess Jesus to some level or another, and that this conflict may certainly uh, be there. And it might be matters of doctrine that become matters of disagreement. It may be points of practice. It may be uh, things that are currently being subsumed under the culture war. It could be any number of things that lead to this kind of conflict. And we need to use these principles uh, in general for that. Uh, then there's the specific stuff going on in in various kinds of relationships. So in general, we need to avoid sin, manifest holiness, to maintain that humble, loving, caring posture of Jesus while affirming and embodying the truth, right? Then we have specific situations. So what happens if you have a situation where a wife is a husband is, is a Christian, excuse me, and the husband is not? And this is what First Peter chapter three, one and two directly addressed that you that in that circumstance it's it's best to demonstrate uh, more than speak. To allow the the pure and good conduct of a faithful Christian to speak louder than the words that one is using. Um, when it comes to the opposite. It does exist that there are husbands who are Christians, but wives who are not, or wives who are not as faithful. And the husband should manage his household as well as he can, and should love his wife as Christ loved the church, in Ephesians 5.25, to live with her in an understanding way, according to 1 Peter 3 and verse 7. And, And should look at this in a much more humble posture than generally is done. What happens when children become faithful to the Lord, and parents are not. And it's it's a difficult quandary, because as as children, we are called upon to uh, honor our father and our mother, even if our father and mother are less than honorable. Um, and we are to obey our parents in the Lord. 
in Ephesians 6 and verse 1. But we should make it in the Lord, that when it goes beyond what the Lord says, uh, we may uh, not, but remember, very important, always important, that we're not trying to be disobedient to parents. There's never a justification or excuse to be disobedient to parents, in as much as to maintain a higher loyalty to our Heavenly Father, and a higher obedience to our Heavenly Father. And we need to recognize that if we are going to end up being uh, doing something in our higher loyalty to God and Christ than to our parents, that our parents may not take well to that, and there may be some kind of consequence that we need to bear under that with patience, uh, understanding that that's part of that demonstration of that honor. And uh, in that situation, you're not giving your parents anything really to able to hang their hat on in terms of making uh, good accusations against you. Then there's the challenge uh, that many have experienced where the parents are Christians and the children are not. The children are not because perhaps the parents did not come to Christ until later. Uh, perhaps the children have gone their own way after uh, having been raised in the church, so on, so forth. And it's a difficult thing because Christians do, children, excuse me, do not easily forget shortfalls, problems, difficulties. And uh, parent, children are always kind of dealing with looking up to their parents as authority figures and as ideals, and yet having to deal with the failures and limitations of said parents. And uh, there's a sometimes a reaction, rebellion impulse uh, in children that, that, is, that is demonstrated in these things. And that's where, again, that loving, humility... Uh, willingness to confess one's sins uh, and to have that level of vulnerability uh, is important and patience and, and a realization something that has been neglected in a lot of conversations about parenting is that children are never our possessions we never own them uh, they do they do not belong to us in that way that the best way to look at it is they uh, we are given the opportunity to steward them they are autonomous individuals as we are and any attempt that we have to coerce compel them or to act like they should just do something because we said that they should do it is not going to go well just trying to be bald-faced authoritarian in these circumstances is going to do more harm than good. And that is why, in all these things, we need to be that light. That it's going to be uh, contextually appropriate to see how we are going to respond. Where there are some contexts where it is important for us to stand very firm, and that we do, you know, maintain consistency, that we will speak a word of life as we have opportunity, uh, and that it's going that may lead to flare-ups, but that we always handle them with humility, love, and patience. Uh, that we always need to remember what Jesus says here: that there is the temptation to put father and mother or ch children uh, before Him, and it's a hard thing to uh, hold up Jesus and to affirm Jesus in ways that may mean there is going to be conflict or disagreement or difficulty with parents or children, spouses, brothers, sisters, and so on, and so forth. And so we need to be careful about that and that we do all that we can to show our children, our, our, our parents, our, our relatives, that we do love them, we care for them, but that our primary loyalty is with Jesus and for Jesus. And that even if they profess Jesus, that may mean that, well, we need to uh, demonstrate that we are following Jesus according to what he has made known. And that may not sit well uh, with how other family members understand uh, that. And it may cause conflict. And we need to be able to deal with that. And that's something that's really hard. 
uh, we live in an, an age that is generally infected with the Epicurean uh, attempt to uh, minimize discomfort and pain. And hey, no one enjoys discomfort, no one enjoys pain, no one enjoys anxiety. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, with this the nature of the way things are, sometimes we need to sit in that. And that sometimes it, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be uh, discomfort. There's going to be these difficulties. And uh, how can we manage these things? Well, uh, we have a, we should have a natural love for family. That's just kind of a natural impulse in us. Uh, but that's why that, that natural love can be corrupted. It can be corrupted so that we prioritize it over the ways of God and Christ. Uh, it can also, unfortunately, we can be corrupted in the opposite way, where we think we're upholding what God has done in Christ, but really we've just fallen prey to some kind of vain philosophy of the world or some uh, institution, the powers and principalities, and we've actually done double the harm because we have not glorified Jesus and we have alienated ourselves from others based on things that aren't even part of the witness of God in Christ. And so it's one of those things where uh, we find ourselves in difficult circumstances with some people in our lives, and the impulse might be to escape, but we've got to find ways of proving faithful in those circumstances. And I have known of circumstances where there has been a, uh, a Christian woman who has lived uh, 20, 30 years with a husband who was not a believer, uh, but uh, who he was converted uh, at when she went through uh, kind of a, a cancer and, and died. And, and, and he has been a faithful Christian ever since. Or circumstances where even a woman who uh, is the only person in her family who uh, follows the Lord Jesus and yet has been able to be an example for her sister-in-law, not the, the, you know on both sides, it's her, bro, it's her husband's brother's wife, so the, the furthest extent of sister-in-law that we can be, uh, and was able to uh, reach her and help her come to an understanding of the truth. Uh, there's a lot of times where by being the, the kind of person we should be and to manifest the witness that we should manifest, that there's a lot that we can do. And it's difficult. And don't want to uh, sugarcoat that, that. That what Jesus has to say here about that sword is a difficult thing. Uh, the conflict that comes from following Jesus is a difficult thing. Uh, but the most important thing that we see throughout all of that is that we are not the ones generating the conflict. That we are not the reason for the, the, the conflict, the divisiveness, because we have insisted on our own way, because we have been jerks, because we have been sharply judgmental and condemnatory. That we have a, It's really the gospel and the witness of the gospel that has caused the conflict. And it's because of the work of the evil one uh, in the world and uh, how he has deceived others. It is a work of the flesh. It is the work of the evil one. And where we see it, it is the work of the evil one in those ways. And therefore, we need to do all that we can to show that light, to show that life and health and reconciliation with God and make the constant appeal in word and deed for reconciliation with others so that people may come to a knowledge of truth and be saved. And you just never know who will be the ones who will actually see and hear that and come and follow the Lord Jesus. And so that is why it is important for us to choose Christ and reflect his light. 
And that's the only way we're going to ever be able to bear witness effectively to those that we love and care for and bring them into Jesus they can share in life forever with us. And so how can we appropriately wield the sword of Jesus Christ? Love to hear your thoughts on that question about the issues and challenges that come with uh, family dynamics and difficulties in bearing witness to the gospel. Uh, Please let us know in the comments. Subscribe to us. And let us go to God in prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We're so thankful for all the blessings of life that you've given us. We're thankful for uh, family and for the benefits it can bring. But we also understand, Father, uh, that there can be conflict and and disagreement in family and among friends and associates uh, on account of bearing witness to your son. We're thankful for Jesus and all that he's accomplished for us. And we want to bear effective witness for him. And so we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength and wisdom to live in holy ways, to reflect the love and humility as Jesus, to be willing to take up that cross and follow him. We pray that we can bear witness effectively to those who are completely alienated from you, uh, that we can bear witness to those who profess to follow you but are not doing so consistent in ways, uh, bearing a witness to Jesus as he uh, truly lived, and that we can do it in ways that glorify you, that we will not be the... the Uh, Our words may not be the sharp, contentious words that would be works of the flesh, but that we are able to manage and handle such situations with love and grace and care and concern, uh, and to do so uh, in ways that glorify and honor you, that bear witness to the ways of your Son, even if it causes us uh, temporal distress on this earth. And we especially pray, Father, that you give us the the wisdom and insight to understand the best way of of managing those circumstances, to to grant us the patience and strength and endurance to, to withstand them, and to strengthen and sustain us through those things we have to endure so that we can most effectively glorify you. Uh, We look forward to the return of your Son and the consummation of all things in Him, and it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Again, thank you for joining us. If we can be of any further service, please reach out to us at VenniceChurchOfChrist.org. We again thank you, and may the Lord bless and keep you until we're able to meet again.